0: The reading is taken from Luke 24 verses 13 to 35 and can be found on page 1061 of the church Bibles. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they walked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? What things, he asked, About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread and "'gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. "'Then their eyes were opened, and they recognised him, "'and he disappeared from their sight. "'They asked each other, "'Were our hearts not burning within us "'while he talked with us on the road "'and opened up the scriptures to us? "'They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. "'There they found the eleven "'and those with them assembled together, and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two of them told what, of what happened on the way, and how Jesus was recognized to them when he broke the bread. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Um, I'm just going to pray for Dave uh, just before he um, yeah, comes and speaks to us. Um, Father God, thank you so much for Dave. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for his faithfulness to this community. and we we just thank you so much, Lord, for um, the time he's put in to to speak to us tonight. Lord, may you just use his words um, just to speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Dave. I wonder, how is your heart? How is the life of your heart? Paul writes this in Romans 12, verse 11. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Many of us here, I think, would say that we are followers of Jesus, but I wonder what our zeal level is like. What is our spiritual fervor like? Would anyone spot a difference between us and those who we know who aren't Christians? Maybe we'd say, well, I don't want to be too different Because then I won't be able to witness to people from alongside them. So I won't be too zealous. I won't announce with fanfare that I'm a Christian. I'll be alongside people. I'll be in the pub, the college, the school, the uni, the book club or the golf club with people. And maybe someone will eventually ask why I'm a Christian. Then I can tell them. Do you know what? And There's some good in that, isn't there? But I wonder if... For some of us, the truth is that we've lost some of our zeal, if we ever had it. Okay, here's my zealometer. Okay, I wonder what our zeal level is like. Okay, I wonder if it's low and keeping low. wonder if it's sort of middling. Maybe it's middling and going up. Yes, that zeal level, whoosh, going right up there. Oh, oh maybe it's coming down. Oh. I wonder if actually we are returning somewhere down about there. I wonder how we are. You know, maybe we used to be red hot, but maybe we've had a few knocks. Maybe we've had a few disappointments and we're struggling a bit now. Some of our friends who once were red hot next to us have gone cold there. And maybe that's had a knock-on effect on us. Yeah, maybe they're not even here anymore because of that. So how can we get back our fire? Or is going cold just a natural effect of life? You know, when we're young, maybe when we're students, yes, we're on fire for Jesus. But now, do you know what? We're a bit more realistic. Now we used to be so unrealistic. Now we're a bit more circumspect about things. So I wonder where you are. And when Paul says, never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord, I wonder how that makes us feel. I think most of us know that we shouldn't just go cold as we get older. You know, if we hang around for very long with people like Eric Smith or uh, Robin Martyr or Arthur Crote or Shirley Steele, then we know that we shouldn't just get cold as we grow older. Because they are older than I am, but they are still passionate about Jesus. But how do we get that zeal? How do we hang on to that zeal? Well, the story of the road to Emmaus, I think, gives us an insight into getting zeal in the first place and hanging on to it once we've got it. So let's have a look together at Luke 24, starting at verse 13. It's on page 1061 of the Bibles on your chairs. If you haven't got a Bible, put your hand up, and somebody, I'm sure, will run you out a Bible. So it's Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Great. Page 1061. So as we start on Luke 24 verse 13 it's the day of Jesus resurrection Mary Magdalene Joanna Mary the mother of James and the others have already visited the tomb and they've seen two angels uh, who've see, said that Jesus is risen Peter too has visited the tomb so in verse 13 the two disciples were presumably amongst the all the others that you read about in verse 9. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. We know that Cleopas wasn't one of the eleven, or probably wasn't, so he's probably one of all the others. But look what it says in verse 11. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So that's where we are at the start of Luke 24, 13. So first we have the missed resurrection in verses 13 to 24. So in verse 13, these two disciples are walking along and they have lost their zeal. You know, once they were red hot, now they're back down there again. They're walking to Emmaus. We're not quite sure where that is, but we do know that it's about seven miles from Jerusalem. Because that's what it tells us in verse 13. Jesus came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So the risen Jesus, walking and talking, but still the disciples didn't recognize him. So if you ever find it hard to believe in a God that you can't see, don't be surprised. If your friends find it hard to believe in a God they can't see, don't be surprised. Because Jesus is walking and talking with people, and they don't even recognize him. They had a God they could most definitely see, and still they don't believe. And then look at verse 17. Look at this lovely moment. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? And they stood still, their faces downcast. Literally, in the Greek it says this, and they are standing looking sad they are standing looking sad. It's the same word in Greek that's used by Jesus when he says, when you fast, don't look gloomy. So you can imagine the picture there, they are shoulders slightly hunched maybe, bottom lip out, puppy dog eyes. We're sad. Do you not know what's happened, says Cleopas. What an irony when he's talking to the person that it happened to. Do you not know what's happened? Have a look at verses 19 to 24, because Cleopas basically goes through the whole Easter story. Have a look at verses 19 to 24. Note the tense of these verses. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, handed over, sentenced to death, crucified. And look at verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Their hope has gone. Their zeal is down. What's the issue here? Things hadn't turned out the way that Cleopas or the other disciples had expected. When Jesus was entering Jerusalem and everyone was waving and cheering and shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. They were expecting an earthly reign of Jesus. They thought the Messiah would be like King David in the Old Testament, reigning as king in Jerusalem, but life had not turned out the way they'd hoped. Follow me, he'd said, but now he's dead. And what am I meant to do with that? I wonder how many of us feel for them. Maybe it's my age, but I find myself saying to lots of people now, life never quite turns out the way you planned it. Isn't that fair? Now, whatever age we're at, already. Haven't we found that? We thought that it would turn out a certain way. I spent months daydreaming about the beautiful violinist at my university church. I would sit in the balcony. She would sit down there in the band. She was very beautiful. Then she got engaged to another guy. I mean, I can't really blame her. I'd never talk to her. <sighs> but life didn't turn out the way that we planned it. I think it probably turned out more the way she would planned it than I had planned it, but I don't hold that against her. You know, we might think that we'll become a great sports person, but we never quite make the first team. Or do you know what? We might think we'll have a long and healthy life and then discover that we've got a disease, and we won't. Or maybe we think we'll find a beautiful wife, husband, and settle down for a wonderful life together. But either we don't find them or they don't find us or we find out that it's not for life or it is and it's not as wonderful as we thought in the first place. Life never quite turns out the way that we planned it. And that can be the same as Christians, can't it? That we think the Christian life will be different to the way it turns out. We think that our life with Jesus will turn out a certain way, and it doesn't turn out like that, and we're left disappointed. Do we just abandon faith and stay at home on a Sunday? Do we stop witnessing? Do we stop praying? Stop worshiping? Stop serving? Stop hoping? Stop reading God's Word? Maybe. That's what happens. but that isn't the end of this story. Verses 25 to 27 talk about the promised resurrection. You know, if we are at that point where we are disappointed with how things have turned out, here's what Jesus says. Have a look at verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are. Now, sometimes I'm not the kindest person in the world, but even I would have been a bit gentler than that how foolish you are. In other words, do you not get it? What had happened was part of the plan. They hadn't got it wrong. Jesus doesn't say, ha, 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 you're mistaken. I didn't really die. They got it right, but still they got it so wrong. In verse 26, Jesus says, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things? They've missed the ending, haven't they? Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And then Jesus goes through from Exodus to Malachi. I reckon they must have been walking quite slowly because it was only seven miles. And he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning. Now notice what he says. What does he say there? Verse 27, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures, not about the Messiah. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. (laughs) So I wonder what he told them. Maybe he uh, went for Isaiah 53, where it talks about God's suffering servant. Here's what it says in Isaiah 53. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. And he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great. And he will divide the spoils with the strong. Because he poured out his life unto death. And was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many. And made intercession for the transgressors. Maybe he uh, talked about Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Maybe it was Isaiah 25 that he was talking about. On this mountain he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death Forever, The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth the Lord has spoken. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. It's all there, says Jesus. It's all there. This is the way it was always going to be. God's plan to redeem the world was there in black and white if they had chosen to look. Are you looking? Are you opening your eyes? It's all there. The Messiah's resurrection was promised. It was all laid out. They'd hoped it would be another way, but God was working out his plan. He wasn't working out their plan, however painful that was for them. God's plan never seems comfortable. It never seems painless if you look at the Bible. Jesus suffered and was crucified. God's plan for the disciples was not to protect them from any harm. They were utterly downcast as they walked along the road. They were really disappointed, and you know what? It wasn't going to end here. Soon a purge of Christians would start. James, the brother of John, was put to death by the sword. If tradition is correct, then only one of the 12 disciples died a natural death. If we're expecting pain-free discipleship, if we are expecting even disappointment-free discipleship, we're not reading the Bible. What can we expect? Verse 26, did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory. What can we expect? Suffering leads to glory. You know what? The recent church bombings in Sri Lanka are appalling. But they aren't unexpected. Sin is all around us and God's people will always suffer. Paul writes to Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evildoers and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul had endured such suffering, yet he does not lose his zeal, and he does not lose his hope. He expected that everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's what he expected. And we can still grieve and we can still cry when disappointment comes. But we should not lose our zeal like these disciples had done. We know what God's plan is and we stick to the plan. Suffering leads to glory. Glory. We know the scriptures. These are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And Paul writes this, and remember what he'd suffered, which he now calls his light and momentary troubles. Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary. This is temporary. Even Christchurch in Winchester, in the UK, in the EU, is still temporary. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal why don't we lose heart? Because the resurrection of Jesus was promised. It was all part of God's plan that he's working out. His glory was assured and so is ours. How can we be sure that this is true? Verses 28 to 32 talk about the revealed resurrection. Look at verse 30 to 31. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. Do you know what? We're, um, we're doing this in our uh, school assemblies this coming week, so we're going to be uh, do, uh, uh, acting out this uh, story in front of about 4,000 children this coming week. It's quite hard to do this bit in an assembly. We got to this point and we thought, we can't do this. We can't just disappear from the children's side. That's just an outside. uh, Yeah, I don't know quite what to do with that. But then again, we're not Jesus. But Jesus is Jesus. The resurrection was promised and God has done it. Christ is Jesus. Risen. Christ is risen. Thank you. Hallelujah. Do you know what? If this was Easter Sunday, you could have even gone. He's risen indeed. Hallelujah. Do you know what? I think we need to try that again. Christ is risen. Yes. Isn't that exciting? Christ is risen. Do you know what? We can even do it twice. Thanks very much, Sam. Follow Sam's example. Thank you. Follow Sam's example as he follows Jesus. Christ is risen. Thank you. Do you know what? This is a physical resurrection. Have you noticed that? Jesus is there. He broke bread with them. He later ate fish with his disciples. This is not like a floaty or an angelic thing. It's a real Jesus. This is a physical Jesus. Resurrection is a physical thing with a real body. You can read more about that in 1 Corinthians 15. So Christ is risen. They'd been disappointed, but God had been working out his plan. Even if you're disappointed, God is still working out his plan. Jesus had been with his disciples all the time. He'd been showing them the truth about himself. He'd been right there in their disappointment. They just hadn't noticed. But he wasn't just there to make them feel a bit better. He was there to transform everything. Jesus' resurrection was God's plan to rescue the world and to bring the world back to himself. Nothing has changed. That's still what it's all about. Jesus still walks with us today, whatever disappointment you have gone through, even if you're disappointed with what God has done in your life. Jesus is here in Christ Church, Winchester. He's here. Even if you don't feel him, even if he feels distant, Christ is risen. And he is here by his spirit. He's right here, right now. You don't have to wait for new wine or Soul Survivor or the Download Week Away or Word Alive or wherever you go. Christ is risen. And he wants to meet with us today, tonight. Not sometime in the future. or Do do you know what? If you wait for a while, he'll still be there because he's still risen. But he wants to meet with us today. And what we need to do is open our eyes. Now, one of my favorite TV programs is a program called DIY SOS. Thank you very much. So we're going to show a little bit from that now. (laughs) Great. Thank you. Open your eyes. That's just a house. Jesus rose from the dead. They've just changed a few rooms in a garden, and we're impressed. I mean, if that had happened over a few days in my house and garden, I would be impressed. But that's just a house. Jesus has risen from the dead. Wow. Why do we continue to close our eyes? Do you know what he could have he could have been sitting there going, no, I don't think I will. I think I'll keep my eyes, I think I'll keep my eyes closed. Or he could even say, you know what, I'll stop exploring now after the first room. What a waste! Everything has changed. Why do we close our eyes when everything has changed? That when there is such beauty and freedom in front of us. That was only five minutes of video we watched. We're like, wow, amazing! Jesus has defeated death. Even Nick couldn't do that. (laughs) Even with the help of the people in Hessel, he still couldn't do that. Why do we continue to close our eyes? Maybe because people tell us that Jesus hasn't really risen. Or if he has, well, it doesn't really matter. Maybe it's because we're unsure what God thinks of us. Maybe we think, that God, doesn't, maybe we think God doesn't care about us because we've had some disappointments. Maybe we feel we've let him down. Maybe things haven't worked out the way that we've hoped but we're missing out, just like Cleopas and his friend were. How do we open our eyes? Well, we ask God. We ask God to help us to see the truth. We come to church to meet his people. We read his word. He tells us there what he's like. He tells us there what he's done. He tells us there what his plan is, that he is working out. And that's better than a house in Hessel. He's working out a plan through his church, that's you and me, to save the world. That's what his plan is. If you read the Bible, that's what God's plan is, to redeem the world. And we pray, we pray that the risen Lord Jesus will change us and the world around us. We meet with the Lord Jesus on our own and with his people. When we meet the risen Lord Jesus, that gives life to cold hearts. If our heart is cold today, if we've lost our zeal, then we need to meet the risen Lord Jesus. He will give life to our cold hearts. And how will we know when we've met the risen Lord Jesus? Well, our circumstances might not change, but the way we see our circumstances will change. Look what happens in verse 33. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen. They didn't stay there basking in the glory. They went and they told. When we've met the risen Lord Jesus, when he's revealed to us, then everything will change. When we have zeal, we're excited about being with Jesus and things change. The word spreads, and the church grows. Let's spend a moment in quiet as we finish. Why not spend this moment just saying to Jesus, I want to meet you afresh today.